0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from our coverage of NASHTAG 2023, plus the discussion that Joran Schattenberg, HistoIndex Chief Scientific Officer, Dean Tai, and I held about HistoIndex and Zonal Analysis Fibrosis which you can find as part of episode two for season four. Our final conversation this weekend returns to the conversation we appended to our day two coverage, which was sponsored by Index. As I described it in setting up the conversation two weeks ago, and I quote, as we start to get more late stage clinical trials with drugs that are successful in meeting trial criteria, the question ultimately is going to be so what they translate into for the liver and, and what happens with them over time. This is a far ranging, fairly complex conversation between Dean Ty, Jorn Schottenberg, and me. And if I summarize fully, it might take as long as the conversation itself. So, here's the punchline. One major critique of biopsy is that we take a sample that is one-fifty-thousandth of the liver, and then use one-fourteenth of that sample, or one-hundred-seven-thousandth of the liver, on a given slide. Until now, we've asked, what can you possibly learn about the working of the different parts of the liver from such a small sample? But, using their second-generation harmonic convergence techniques, AI, via histoindex, allows us to dissect the liver into zones. Dean specifically mentions the paraportal zone, paracentral zone, zone 2, central vein, etc. In, in this particular case, where they looked at two different studies, one with aldofermin and the other with resminerome In the Resmetirom study, the overall assessment was statistically significant, and it became clear that the reduction was greatest in the paraportal region. In contrast, a different study showed significant differences with aldofermin, but reduction was greatest in zone 2 and around central vein. In essence, a completely different effect. As Jordan points out, it really is fascinating to know that these technologies can tell us how much change in fibrosis and which drugs will affect regression in different parts of the liver. The rest of the discussion dives into what we can learn from this kind of technique and how we can learn it to define better and better targeted clinical trials, select more intelligent drug combination therapies to study, and make far better use of the liver tissue patients give us today. It also shows what histoanics is working on in these areas today, including some truly tantalizing glimpses of the future. I think you'll enjoy it. NASHTEC 2023 was a watershed moment for fatty liver disease, the place where exciting drug development readouts, powerful academic work on non-invasive tests, and the willingness to dive into the toughest questions aligned in a meeting that Scott Friedman described as being like drinking from out of a fire hose. So just... Sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, ponder, listen again if you need to. And when you're done, join the conversation in our LinkedIn discussion group. Up until now, up until literally Monday with the release of the maestro nash data, the question has been, can we find a drug that hits the finish line on efficacy and safety at the same time? And these have been scored using really some pretty crude measures, right? Uh, regression of biopsy, uh, wherever this, in the liver the sample comes from, and yes, S activity score. But as we start to get to more late stage clinical trials with drugs that are successful in meeting these criteria, the question ultimately is gonna be, so what do they translate into for the liver and the metabolism over time? And here, I think Dean and you have brought with them today some data that will shed an interesting light on ways to ask and answer that question using AI histopathology. So without any more ado, let me turn the floor over to, I guess, Dean to to start us off and talk a little bit about what you brought with you today, and then you will talk about the results and then we'll ask questions. So Dean, your floor, my friend.
1: Dean Tai. Thank you, Roger. So what we have recently found is some intriguing data about Steatosis and liver volume reduction from aldefermin as well as the resmetirom. uh this phase two. These are the phase two trials. So we have seen that the. Fat and hepatic fat has been significantly reduced in a very short time frame, as little as like 12 weeks to 36 weeks in these two studies. And the question we asked is then, does the fibrosis change as fast in this time frame? And most people who hypothesize that the fibrosis reg- regression will take longer. So the question is, in that scenario, what happens to fibrosis reduction? So our data basically using AI to measure how the fat change, how the liver volume change in this patients and how the potential impact that can have fibrosis and are these somehow navigate the actual fibrosis change that affected the one-point reduction gold standard that we will look for. So these are some very intriguing but very exciting data. So we're very excited to share this data with Roger. Jaren
2: Schattenberg. Dean, cool. uh, thank you and and I agree with you. I think there's a certain excitement around what you are ready to discuss with us here because looking back, we've seen some trials with a very short duration on very effect of defattening of the liver, 12 weeks. And something that was reported was relevant fibrosis reduction. Everybody then asked, you know, how can that be? Fibrosis is slowly moving. Is this a true effect? What happens? And I think the point you're making here is that fat reduction changes liver morphology, liver size. So when you take a piece of liver and look under uh, the microscope at it again, then all of a sudden fiber um, arrangement not being separated as strongly by fat lab and hepatocytes could be very different interpreted by the pathologist could go both ways, I think. And by dissecting the liver histology slides, what you're pretty much doing with your technology, by looking at it in more depth and subsegmenting, looking at zonal distributions, looking at quantitative changes, I think is the next level to understand what's happening in the liver. And I think that's why I'm so excited to learn more about that and discuss the data. There's been a good example, if I just look at the slides and some of that data we're discussing here hasn't really been presented. Some of it was shown by Stephen Harrison during a breakfast meeting you held at ASLD, but I'm excited to share that some of this will be presented at NASHTAG. So whoever's interested, stop by and uh, have a look at our poster. The data that is being shown is going to be one based on the cohort four um, of the 24-week aldofermin phase two study, where by applying q and Q-steatosis, you can show that there is actually comparable results between the pathologists if you use the categorical staging. But once you move to continuous evaluation of changes in liver fat and and, and liver fibrosis, there are certain differences that you can say. And again, it speaks to the way we assess liver fibrosis in categories today to assess if an improvement by one stage has occurred. And while these are pretty crude stages, a lot of things happen in the liver, which are then better captured by the continuous valuable. Now, it's important to mention that this has not been adopted by the regulators, of course, but these observations on, on ordinal changes are are, of course, relevant to the pathophysiology. And for that, I think there's a lot of truth in trying to explore and understand that better. Do you have any thoughts on that or or, or any comments? And uh, I mean, you've been instrumental in in developing this technology with your company.
1: Thank you, So. Maybe just share a bit more specific of what we did. We use AI to really normalize steatosis reduction. So AI being widely accepted, assessing steatosis in liver. And another advantage is that AI can help us to dissect liver into zones like the periportal zone, pericentral zone, zone 2, etc. So what we have done in the other firmament is that you mentioned that using fully quantitative assessment, we can see now a statistical significant fibrosis reduction. But with this detailed assessment with the steatosis correction and the zonal analysis, in fact, we, we found that the statistical significant reduction of fibrosis is most potent in the peripotal region. So these are the kind of assessment that the AI can help to find at a very reproducible manner. And these are the kind of things that are not being taken into consideration when we talk about fibrosis staging. And then with that, we started looking at this in all the fibrosis parameters. Comparing now, we're looking at the elder ferment as well as the resimateron. So, what we have found is something really intriguing. In the elder ferment study, we have, found one, we have found that once we applied this steatosis correction, most of the fibrosis changes in zone 2 and central vein around central vein and pericentral, they are highly statistically significant, okay? When we apply the same methodology on REST and METERON, again, we see very significant fibrosis reduction across the board. But this time, what where we see that happens, it happens also in zone two, but not so much in central vein, but a lot more potent in the periportal and portal area. So we see very two distinctly different fibrosis regression patterns in these two cohorts. They are both statistically significant with a very potent fat reduction but once we corrected this, we found a very distinct fibrosis regression pattern. So that to us is very intriguing very intriguing and very exciting. So
0: speaking just just comment and question and then you're on back to you. Speaking as a guy with minimal science knowledge, but a fair amount of statistical knowledge, the first reaction I had to this is that consistent with what AI is supposed to do, you've actually taken fibrosis regression, you've dimensionalized it, right? Which is we're now not just looking at a number, but we're looking at a map of the liver. And you could almost, right? And you could you could almost color code hot zones and cold zones based on exactly how much regression you're getting and where you're getting it. And that uh, these techniques enable you, therefore, to visualize the liver treated by Alder-Furman and the liver treated by Ibra's as being two different livers almost if you will or two different visualizations of, of treatment
1: yeah exactly I think the way you pointed is really we are an annotation tool basically you highlight where you want to measure and I think to some extent pathologists has been doing that in fact when I kept this conversation with them they are not surprised they saw that very often in all these trial samples just that the CRN system is kind of a limitation because at the end of the day they can only record F1 or F2 or F3 or F4 they can make all the removerings they won in of them did this with a lot of remarks, but they are not taking into considerations at the end. This
2: discussion around high-end precision assessment of liver slides is really fascinating because we've been complaining in the field that we're using very blunt tools, a needle pulling out some liver histology and then categorizing it in four buckets when trying to assess response. Now, that response has been shown for the second time in a phase three trial. Speaking even in the bluntest way to subsegment and analyze fibrosis, you do get signals that are stat in those groups. But it's intriguing to try to understand what the numbers of changes in fibrosis are going to end up with in the end if you apply more. And I'm going to use a Harrison quote here, laser-targeted fighter jets and dissect that just having a more precise analysis technology because something the field always is or something that I'm always confronted with is, well, you just get a 10 to 20 percent difference. You're saying it's statistically significant, but it's done on a very rough measure. And I think by applying these technologies, um, we're going to understand better how much change in fibrosis there is. And that's the first aspect. The second aspect is, of course, we're trialing a lot of different MOAs in comparable patient population. And it seems very logical to postulate that not all drugs are affecting fibrosis regression by the same way, but more specifically on how and where they act. And I can very well understand uh, Dean if he details You know, we are seeing more pericentral versus peripheral changes and and trying to link that to the underlying drug effect is interesting. I'm not sure we fully understand that yet, but it brings us to the next level of deciphering how that drug actually affects fibrosis regression uh, on the big scale, uh, independent of extra hepatic effects.
0: Yes, so as a researcher, not a medical researcher, but a researcher, a couple of things strike me. First of all, I think those are excellent points. And and I hadn't said this yet. Dean, you guys are to be commended for this work. I realize that I'm becoming at least something of a liver geek when I look at your slides and I start grinning from ear to ear like an idiot. I say to myself, okay, fine. Obviously, there's a level on which this is touching me. And we actually actually should touch anybody who understands it. So one thought, Yorn, is at that point, if you could get longitudinal histories on the patients whose slides you've got, then you can start to sort some of these issues out in real time in very brass tacks, practical ways that might be too expensive to to do, I don't know. But you actually now have the ability to track slide to a patient, track up that to an impact on a zone of liver and ask, okay, what have we really done here for the patient, which is ultimately where the rubber's gonna meet the road? It's Stephen's fifth level precision strike fighter mode. I think that's right. The second thing is it raises a really interesting question to me, at least, around drug development going forward, right? Because if you adopt a model that says we're gonna have over time induction drugs and maintenance drugs and monotherapies and combination therapies, then one of the questions has to be where do you want to have impact on liver and how much at which points in time. And by having an opportunity to map the liver geographically, I think you can do a much more efficient job in figuring out how to put combination therapies together. And beyond simple things like what's injectable and what's oral, figuring out what makes sense on an induction mode and what makes sense on a maintenance mode. Dean, can you comment on A, is that correct? And B, how do you see that evolving in terms of practical evaluation of data? St- and, and the kinds of studies that people might be generating going forward?
1: So this is what I think. First of all, the quantification data of all these different zones, that's what we're doing now. We're correlating to clinical outcome. The most recent data in New New England genome you know, is that we have further confirmed that fibrosis staging linked to clinical outcome. There's a lot of solid proof now. But this is the case, this, when there's intervention, then how much change is there. So this is the time really we need more precise measurement because if you go back to the full bucket, while we ask all these questions, it's very difficult to answer unless you like you get like probably a 10, 20 times more patient follow-up at that time. And that doesn't really benefit for drug development later on as well. So I think this is really not rocket science. We, we need more precision data measuring the right parameters. Now, my view is how this will impact the ongoing clinical trials drug development. I think you brought up very great point about, you know, how do you compare oral versus injection dose and then have different MOA. Eventually, we want to give, you know, we want to balance, have the right dosage. And this is where the detail comes, because I think as it is, we we see the one-point system. It's very difficult, but we're happy that, that, that now we have a, a phase three trial meeting the top line. And now, when we go into further dissecting multiple combination therapy, then we see the challenge there. Now, if we can imagine, right, we can have one drug really having fibrosis while associating steatosis and inflammation reduction, then it really helps us to not only design a more scientifically sensible endpoint and also a a more measurable surrogate endpoint. This will actually help to expedite the drug therapy development. And as I move forward, I can imagine, because right now we're talking about an entire metabolic system, so how this will interact with other metabolic disease. Another layer of questions just surfaced. So these will be they later take into consideration as we move on to and further consideration of other medical metabolic disease. That's my opinion. I'm an engineer. So I'm really visualizing more on the how the data analysis, not so much on the, the biology side. So what, what do you think? I
2: agree. You're making a strong argument for having a very well refined drug development tool, mostly looking, I would say, in phase two data, looking at the patterns of fibrosis regression you're seeing here. So it might not even be that we need the regulators to adapt this type of technology for drug approval. I think it could support it, but that's a little longer shot. I think the way where we use it or where I would see its strength is trying to combine mechanisms where we see either synergistic or complementary effects, and both it could be feasible. You know, if you're shown something in the zonal analysis, you get a strong effect in this area, but not in this. Well, why don't you add a drug that has an effect in the same zone to really clear that up, or you can make the hypothesis, the theory, you know, I'm going to add a drug that has a different zonal effect to get a more broad effect on the liver. So from that perspective, I think it's, it's fascinating and it's really making most of the tissue that the patient donates, right? Because the way we use it today is, it's is it zero or is it four or where does it fall into the buckets? And there is so little compared to how much information is in there, we're not using it to the fullest extent. And even from a research ethics perspective, I think we owe the patient that we take most of the data that is available out of their tissue and put this into future drug development. So, Jorn, you make an interesting point on reflecting
0: that it's December 23rd and that Louise has already begun her Christmas weekend celebration and can't be with us today, but I will be the voice of Louise for a second on the last thing you said, which is, you know, we ask so much of patients when we ask them to give tissue and we have a moral obligation to make the greatest benefit of every piece of tissue that we're given. So, when you talk about the kinds of things you're doing here, you're making each patient's individual contribution so much more valuable. And Thereby showing respect to the patient, which is at the end of the day what we're all here to do anyway. So I think that's really an interesting point, not one I would have thought about until you said that. So thank you for that. Dean, where next. What do you see the next steps forward on the path as being here?
1: That's a good question. I asked myself that question every single night. So right now, this liver volume and status reduction is very new to us. So we are raising more questions than answers right now. But I think the first thing we will do is we will want to we will need to correlate all this to clinical outcome. long-term clinical outcome. With that, we are working with regulatory agencies. We're working on multiple cohorts. These are serial and some are multiple serial biopsies with patients with with 10 plus years follow-up to link to clinical outcome. And I think this really helps us answer the question whether this zonal uh, uh, effect uh, has similar or even better predictive value to the fibrosis staging. Okay, I think that's the first one. And then the second one is we definitely need to validate this in a lot more different MOAs so that we can have a better profile to design a better tool for ongoing clinical trials. We have been, on top of this, we've been developing a lot of visualization tool because the things we have seen, they are relatively complicated like this steatosis impact on fibrosis where the zones are. So so, so we will, in fact, we have a poster in Nashtag and we will present more data in the upcoming Asia-Pacific meeting and, of course, the EZOE the meeting so really, to really show this uh, visualization tool. For one example is the radar map. Like all this specific parameter we spoke about, there are many tools like radar map. You can see multiple dimensions of fibrosis changes. So it's not just a one-point reduction. You can see whether the periportal is going up, pericentral is going down, and another Another thing is, we are looking at the concomitant effects. How is fibrosis affected by steatosis reduction? And our most recent work in ballooning, we are looking at how does fibrosis interplay with ballooning. So, all this information are now being uh, just surfaced. So, we are now working with a lot of the key opinion leaders like Yong trying to answer these questions. So, I think in short, we are going to show everyone more exciting data very soon. That's the
2: great thing of being able to look at all these trials. out now and looking at different MOAs. I mean, the way what's been shown now and, and discussed during the breakfast meeting at ASLD was phase two data from resmederome and the but there are more drugs and it will be very interesting to learn actually which one affects this in what way. And I, I agree with you, Dean, here. Uh, this is going to help the field and move it forward, you know, not in the end when we're going to prescribe a drug, but on the way to refine better drugs. And I think even after the second positive phase three, there is room for improvement and there is need to refine Well,
0: I think both those are true, right? I mean, if you know that you're dealing with a... 3X improvement on on a 10% placebo rate, then one way to look at that is that 70% of patients aren't being adequately resolved by an agent. If you take two agents, each of which has, say, a 20% improvement uh, on placebo, then if they're redundant, that means 70% of patients are unaddressed. And if they're not redundant, that means 50% of patients are unaddressed. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. And as you add more and more modes of action and more different permutations of interaction into the mix, you get to a point where you can start to map out how, how many patients can we successfully treat with this. The MOAs that we've thoroughly evaluated, and then I guess even beyond that, Dean. I guess if you think of this as a map, you have the, then the ability to do gap analysis and say, okay, here's the zone in the liver where we need to get an effect, a dry MOA that has an effect, because we're not dealing with this, and we know that when we don't deal with this, here are the bad things that happen. I can see all that out in front. You mentioned 10-year longitudinal data. Does that exist right now? And if so, for how many patients, and how are you going about gathering that going forward?
1: So that's a work in progress. We're working multiple cohorts as we speak. So the, the good thing about biopsy is that we can. Get them from the archive. So with our analysis, we actually do not do staining. So we can return the specimen afterwards. So we don't need to really sacrifice the specimen to do it. So with that, we have some preliminary exciting data and we will share them next year. And uh, right now, the preliminary data looks very promising, which frankly is not surprising to me because uh, fibrosis linked to outcome that's already clear. Is that which fibrosis linked to outcome? That's what we are explaining right now.
2: Again, it's for me self explanatory that looking at fibrosis patterns, correcting that for what happens in the liver can give you more granular answers. And I'm sitting down with my pathologist every week to look at all the biopsies I did. And there is so much data, even after years, that you can get from a liver sample and using AI, augmenting the readout is one very logical step and one that I'd like to develop or see develop further, among others, through Histoindex and Dean here for drug
0: development. Yeah. Your last comment points to the rather interesting idea, That goes, we have tons of data, not we, me, but we, the the, the researchers and the companies, have significant amounts of data that have only begun or not even begun to be plumbed to the kind of depth that we're talking about here. So the value of what the work that people have done in the past can be fairly dramatically, if I understand your last comment, Jorn, can be fairly dramatically augmented by going and doing this even as a retro analysis on data that exists. The way I took your comment was that we don't even need new studies, although new studies are important, but we also have the ability to reevaluate old data in a different way. gives the impact of that as well.
1: As an engineer, I totally agree with you because there is abundant data. You know, this is uh, when we look at these samples; they are like gold mines. There's so much information, and I think we are. All surprised that there's so little information is being used, and and, and biopsy, you know these are re- visualization, these are images, you know they're very intuitive. You know when I share with you this is periportal and this is how the fibrosis change, Once you visualize it, it becomes so intuitive. So the question uh, when we talk to regulatory regulatory agencies is really you know when you have intervention, you know what are the potential impacts? For example, if we, at this point we say 5% reduction in peripotal fibrosis and linked to clinical outcome. But when intervention comes, is it still 5% or do you only need 4%? So we do have some questions that we will, we will need to address. And at this point, I think no one has the answer to that. But I think that point is, especially with the recent good news from reservoir, this is, is showing that this is achievable and this data that with the quantum the 5% versus 4% question we now have the means to, to answer it now.
0: So that's super and I think very, very exciting and posting this interview as part of our coverage of what promises to be a really exciting hashtag, I think might wind up being the cherry on the sundae or the icing on the cake of, uh, sorry for using sugar metaphors folks, I know that's a bad thing to do in fatty liver disease.
2: We all run on sugar, Roger it's the balance and you gotta of course burn that sugar again at one point
0: You know, it's a good point, You're although Although, frankly, to completely personalize this, uh, all you need is one lymph node filled of melanoma at one point in your life, and you start to understand exactly how toxic sugar is—not in the liver context, but uh, nonetheless. Some of us are sugar junkies, and then understand how bad that is for us. So, I, w- I will search for a different metaphor. Okay, this is the extra spice on the on me of liver disease. How's that? Is that better? Big bon me fan. So, but whatever metaphor we want to use, this is at the end of what's going to be a fantastic conference. And, Dean, thank you so much
2: for bringing this information to us today. I can't wait to see what you all come up with next thank you roger yeah, yes thank you. you and and stop by uh, our poster at uh Nashtag if you're there i'm happy to uh, discuss further
0: thank you folks have a merry christmas and a happy holiday season however you celebrate it we're looking forward to an exciting 2023 bye-bye now
2: and now back to roger
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episodes from #NashTag, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com and we'll try to get you some support. We will be back next week. Our topic is in flux due to some commercial considerations, but whatever we do will be interesting, energized, and follow in the spirit of this amazing meeting. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.